Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Joy of Financial Planning podcast. The topics of this podcast are a complement to the book, Joy of Financial Planning, available in stores including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Joy of Financial Planning is about the belief that we can overcome the unique economic and life challenges we face as a generation by first getting our financial house in order. In fact, we have no other choice. Now more than ever, we must grow our wealth, follow our passions, live with compassion, and find a way to achieve a personalized version of the American dream. Just as it has been in prior generations, the ideal of the American dream is being challenged, not just because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but because of the callous murder of a fellow black man, George Floyd, that we all got to see. The example of his abuse, and that of many others, cuts through the core of the American dreams I have believed in all of my life. I have a persistent belief that all are created equal, worthy of respect, deserving of opportunity, and the ideals of the American dream live inside all of us. I thank you for supporting dreams, your dreams, by listening to this podcast. The purpose of this content is to educate listeners and for them to inform others. This episode is part of a series of recorded Zoominars from my Jason Howell Company YouTube channel. That's where you'll find the video versions. In my business life, my wealth management firm collaborates with many experts. Together, we transform regular investors into patriarchs and matriarchs of their families and their communities. This episode features some of that expertise. Please send your feedback to jason at jasonhowell.com and give this episode a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's the kind of thing you do. For more about my unique brand of family wealth management, just go to jasonhowell.com. And now, estate planning during a crisis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Estate Planning During a Financial Crisis, uh, presented by the Jason Howell Company, and I'm here today with Dave Nasal. Hey, Dave, say hi. Hi, Jason. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Excellent. Um, and I'm going to now, you're going to see my eyes switching every once in a while. I'm going to start admitting folks in uh, so they can see uh, our pretty faces and they can be a part of our big show today. Welcome everyone from Zoom land to estate planning during the financial crisis. Um, some of you know David already. Uh, we're so excited to, uh, to have him for this important discussion around estate planning, especially at a time like this when from what I'm hearing from Dave, a lot of people are sort of rushing to his door, his offices over at Pretoria Law to essentially get their affairs together. Um, not that it was never a good time to do this, but now people are starting to think about uh, their mortality and a whole bunch of other stuff. All right, as, um, as I'm getting forward here, I'm going to ask David. Uh, David, how was your day today? Just, just tell us, you know, how busy was it? What were you up to? Bring us into the room here. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Jason. Uh, so, yes, it's uh, been a busy day and uh, it's been a busy, uh, you know, couple of months actually overall. But today in particular, um, this is uh, the second of three uh, Zoom sessions that I have scheduled today. I don't, for some reason, everyone wanted to schedule them on uh, Wednesday. 
Um, and then, so in between those, I'm also um, working on uh, finalizing some uh, estate plan portfolios with uh, for clients that have recently completed their estate plan and we're kind of putting it all together in a nice package for them with all their documents and additional information that they need. And then uh, also I'm uh, working with a few uh, business clients um, for um, you know, their uh, different business documents like operating agreements um, and leases and things like that. So a lot going on uh, as always. Are you tired? When did you start your day to day in the office? Um, about nine. Okay. All right. So, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, you start at nine, no difference for you. Right. All right. Well, well thanks for being here. And I, I see a bunch of other folks have kind of jumped on here. So we'll get started, I guess, in the next few seconds. Um, just FYI to everyone here that's on the conference with us. If you have any specific questions for David, of course, you could interrupt him and throw off his flow if you'd like. Um, but really, that's what the chat is for. We have a group of questions that, um, that I think is gonna be relevant to almost anyone that's thinking about estate planning in any way. But if you have specific questions, go ahead and put them in the chat. I will um, certainly get to them before we jump off the call today and allow uh, David to answer your questions live uh, here on Zoom and Facebook. All right, and every once in a while, you're gonna see me uh, sort of looking over to the side and admitting folks in. So uh, don't be thrown by that. But uh, right now, I will go ahead and share our presentation with everyone. And now you can see uh, a gorgeous photo of Mr. David Nasal um, and an okay one of me. So welcome once again to estate planning during a financial crisis. We have the Honorable David Nasal here with us from Pretoria Law. Uh, David has a couple of uh, different specialties and his firm has a bunch of specialties as well. But overall, before we get into the entire presentation, I want to thank you for joining us. Jason Howell Company has been presenting some of these Zoominars, I guess, over the past few weeks. And we have plans to continue doing this over the next few weeks, as long as people continue to be interested. What we're doing is having conversations with people who are the kinds of folks that we would typically refer as a general wealth management firm to really bring some expertise in. You know, people that are licensed, that do what they do for a living so that we can do what we do for a living for our clients and everyone is getting excellent service. And so we're really happy to have Dave. I think it's one of the required pieces of a comprehensive financial plan is to have an estate plan um, and especially having someone that's licensed in your state to work with you. Okay. David, if you would just give us an overview of Pretoria Law. I know you had your own firm before this. Why did you choose to join this firm? And really, what are they doing during the pandemic to make themselves accessible to people? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jason. Um, so uh, again, uh, everyone, uh, my name is Dave Nasal, and I'm a member of Pretoria Law and I head up the trust and estates practice group of the firm. Um, the firm has been in existence for about uh, 10 years and is primarily focused on representing businesses and business owners. Um, and that is uh, across a wide array of different legal services that those clients may need. Uh, that includes employment law, corporate law, government contracts, litigation, um, 
and um, you know, uh, intellectual property and, and pretty much most things that a typical business is gonna need in the way of legal services. And then my area, the trust and estates is um, you know, more on the personal side. However, I work with a lot of business owners, both on their business legal needs uh, as well as on their business succession planning, which is kind of the tie-in between the two uh, areas. Business succession planning, basically in a nutshell, is a plan for what's gonna happen to your business if you are incapacitated or uh, pass away or certain other circumstances happen. And as uh, we can all imagine, that is something that has really become a top concern for a lot of our business clients um, as they wonder, you know, how, how this quarantine is going to affect their business. And, you know, it, God forbid, if they, you know, contract uh, the virus uh, and, and are not able to work or manage their business, uh, you know, how, how can their business survive that? Terrific. Um, so you also asked about, you know, how we're dealing with uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, so, I mean, I guess just from a, um, you know, a, a physical um, uh, standpoint in terms of our building and office space, um, you know, we have uh, masks and gloves and sanit hand sanitizer and, and uh, uh, disinfecting wipes to wipe, to wipe down surfaces. Our building has marked out areas on the floor for waiting for the elevators and you know limited capacities on the elevators there's very few people here so um, it's actually quite easy to uh, practice social distancing um, obviously like many people we are um, doing the majority of our uh, meetings with clients uh, by uh, telephone video um, you know email um, and however, we can meet with uh, clients here in the office uh, when it's necessary. Um, and one of the main reasons why it may be necessary is uh, for estate plan uh, signings. Uh, typically, you, you need witnesses and notaries and those kinds of things. So typically, we do those in person. Um, the, uh, the state is moving towards virtual notaries. Um, uh, for certain um, things. However, it's not all the way there yet for estate plan signing. So um, we've been doing those um, in person, uh, but we have a very large conference room where we can, you know, be 12 feet apart from each other. Uh, and we even- well, You've doubled it up, 12 feet, that's even safer. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. It's, we're lawyers, so we like to be extra safe. Excellent. Um, and we even had one estate plan signing that we did outside. Okay, okay. And then now the weather is getting so much better, you can more easily do that. Well, thank you. We're, we're going to get to your presentation um, and, and give you a proper introduction in, in just a sec. But thanks for giving us a little bit about Pretoria Law. Uh, for those of you who are not as familiar with Jason Howell Company, we are a family wealth management firm. What we like to do is take the best of the ultra high net worth uh, folks and bring that down to sort of our Washington DC metropolitan level. I call that regular net worth. Our job is to empower families to make decisions uh, about the special things they want to do with their money, both for their family and maybe for a passion project, uh, maybe for some of the social justice issues that they're interested in is we are all living in this very, very difficult time with the pandemic and with riots and with protests uh, all for, for good reason. And so a lot of the people that we work with, they have real reason to set aside money, not just for the 
modicum of what they want to get done, but for big important things, that's that's what's pretty typical about the people in the Washington DC area. We're of course very proud as a firm to be uh, recognized in a couple of different ways, been on television a little bit and in the paper a little bit. Um, both of our principals, myself and Doug Tees are certified financial planner professionals, uh, which is a big benefit to the folks that we work with. And we're continuing to find ways to add value to people that are really trying to do something special with their money. So that's a little commercial about Jason Howell Company. As I mentioned before, we're having a good time putting these presentations together uh, with other experts uh, within the area that really bring the mind share to help our families make those great decisions. All right, without further ado, I'm gonna introduce Mr. David M. Nasal more properly. Uh, so happy to have him here. You know, he's a UVA grad through and through. He's from McLean, so he's a Virginia guy. I, I know he's licensed in Virginia. David, are you licensed in DC and Maryland as well? Uh, yes, I am. All right, so he's, he's got the whole metropolitan area taken care of. Um, and man, you know, I, I tried to think of like a bullet point that would be something fresh and new, even for some of the, your colleagues that may be here on the line. Give us one little nugget that, um, that most people don't know, maybe something you enjoy or uh, some way you like to spend your time. Um, yeah, well, I guess, uh, you know, one thing uh, maybe people don't know is I was actually born in Germany uh, and lived there for the six, first six months of my life uh, before uh, we came back to the United States. Wow. Okay. A wonderful nugget. Uh, thank you very much. Virginia native, as my brother likes to uh, remind me. Oh, what native? I missed it. Not a Virginia native. Not a Virginia. Uh, six months out. Was it an army base you were born on? Uh, no, uh, my father was uh, doing research at a uh, university in Germany. Okay, all right, so there are multiple layers. You'll note David's contact information is right here. So if you would just want to email him about uh, his time in Germany and what the heck his dad was doing, you can certainly do that. We have, um, we have uh, oh, sorry, we have a couple questions in the chat already. So I wanted to get to that just before we, um, we go with our standard questions to, to let people know that we are watching the chat. So David, our first question is, what sort of recommendations do you make to those clients who wish to ensure they can retire in dignity, affording ever increasing housing and health expenses while leaving whatever remains to their family members? Yeah, well, I guess uh, the first thing I would say is uh, make sure you have an outstanding financial advisor like uh, Jason Howell Company, featuring uh, <laughs> Jason Howell and Doug Tees. Uh, because um, in order to accomplish those goals, you're going to need the finances to pay for it. Uh, and then um, where the, um, the legal side of that comes in is, um, you know, having the documents in place to have the people that you want to be the decision makers, making the decisions and, uh, and having your wishes expressed so that you know that those will be carried out and you can be cared for in the way that you want to be cared for, uh, you know, live the way you want to live and pass on the legacy that you want to pass on to those who, to whom you want to pass it. Terrific. And that's probably a lead up to our very first, very broad question. Um, a lot of people I think on the line have a great sort of overall understanding, but maybe you can give us just sort of a little bit of detail and elements of what estate planning actually is. Yeah, well, obviously, I just kind of alluded to it. So estate planning, in a nutshell, is 
designing and creating and implementing a plan and the associated legal documents that go with that to make sure that um, the, you have the people that you want making the decisions for you if you're not able to, and you have your wishes carried out in the event that you're incapacitated uh, regarding your medical decisions or your financial management, and of course, following your death. Okay, so it's not just a will, there's stuff for when you're alive and then also stuff for after you've passed away. Correct, and I'll also just emphasize here, um, you know, what I touched on before, which is that it's important that your estate plan work together with your financial plan. Um, you know, they are kind of two sides of, of the coin and, and they need to work together. So that's why it's so important that your advisors uh, you know, be in good communication with each other and, and you really have a good team um, supporting you. Oh, terrific. Um, certainly agree with that. Now, you touched on it a little bit with Pretore and some of the things that they're doing uh, to essentially have PPE, you know, protective gear for their clients. Are there other structural changes in and around estate planning during the pandemic? Maybe you could speak to the volume. Um, have there been any changes because of the pace of people wanting to put plans together? Yes, uh, so absolutely. So we've been, um, you know, uh, as busy as ever, if not more so um, during this period. Um, and a part of that I think is because, uh, you know, these types of uh, issues have come to the top of mind for many people. And then on top of that, they have, uh, you know, maybe been uh, stuck at home uh, for a prolonged period and are finally getting around to, uh, you know, getting their affairs in order or checking some of those items off of their uh, to-do list that have been uh, lingering there for a long time. Um, so we are definitely, um, you know, seeing people that are, you know, A, um, you know, now sort of um, more interested than ever in getting their estate plan done and, and B, we're also seeing, uh, you know, with some clients, there's more of an urgency to get it done faster um, because of this situation. And I've already kind of talked about some of the procedures that, you know, we're doing as far as how we're meeting with uh, clients and that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, step us back a little bit because maybe one or two people on the line don't have an estate plan at all. So what happens to them, really to their stuff after they pass away and their decisions if they don't have a, an estate plan in place? Yeah, um, so, you know, one way to look at it is if you don't create your own estate plan, you still have one, it's just provided to you uh, by the law. And so what that means is if, if you haven't created your own estate plan, then a court is gonna decide who makes decisions for you, who, administers your estate when you're dead, uh, who's going to take care of your children if you're dead or not able to. Um, and then your property and assets are gonna be distributed according to the law rather than according to how you wish it to be distributed. Uh, and then and if you have kids, you know they're gonna uh, inherit anything when they turn 18 and have free reign to do whatever they want. Um, in terms of spending that or um, you know, uh, managing those funds. Um, and also um, you're essentially going to be saying, I want to pay the most amount of taxes and expenses uh, on my estate as possible. 
So that is, uh, you know, not necessarily a desirable, you know, default plan to have. So that's why we emphasize the importance of creating your own estate plan that reflects your wishes. Makes sense. And it sounds like you, you've touched on a little bit of what I believe to be that probate process and, and that guardianship. Give us a little bit of color around, you know, what is probate and, and you know, what is guardianship, I guess, according to the, the courts. Right, right. So um, probate is essentially the court supervised process of administering an estate. And so, um, you know, what that means is if, if someone dies, um, you know, if they, whether they had a will or not, um, there's going to be a uh, potentially a court supervised administration of the estate, which means you have to file inventories uh, with the court system and then periodic accountings. And there's uh, fees associated with those and probate tax. Um, and then, so guardianship is essentially a similar type of process, but that's for if you're incapacitated, uh, you know, and you don't have an estate plan in place that says what happens then, you know, your family may have to go to court to get a guardian appointed for you um, to, uh, you know, take care of you, manage your finances, that kind of thing. And again, that's going to be a court proceeding that involves lawyers, that's expensive. Uh, and then there's going to be ongoing burdens in terms of um, accountings and, uh, you know, information that has to be filed with the court. And all of that is also a public record. Okay, so that kind of answers the other questions too, right? Why I want to avoid probate and, and how do I avoid it? I guess the simplest answer to how do I avoid it is work with someone like you? Right, absolutely, yeah, so um, exactly. So describing uh, the probate and guardianship process, uh, you know, tells you a lot about why you want to avoid it, but I can just elaborate on that a little bit. So, I mean, there's kind of four things um, that, you know, that we're trying to avoid. One is the delay and time it takes to go through uh, the probate process. Two is the expense associated with, uh, you know, either attorneys or other um, advisors, uh, the fees that the court itself charges. Um, three is the burden and hassle on your family to have to, you know, go through all these procedures. And four is the public nature of, uh, of the process and the documents that get filed. Um, so that, that's, those are the main reasons why you want to avoid probate. How do you avoid it? Yes, talk to someone like me, create your own estate plan, and in particular, um, an estate plan that includes a uh, revocable living trust, um, you know, is essential to um, avoid probate, preserve privacy, and also accomplish uh, many other objectives. Can you spend um, about 30 seconds on that, that revocable living trust? Tell us, you know, how is that different from just having a will and, and what are the pluses for, for having one of those? Sure. Um, so if you want to go to the next slide, I think that would help uh, okay. um, sort of illustrate it. So th this is a diagram that's showing the various components that go into a typical estate plan. And um, it's broken down by what I call phases of life. So going from the left, you're alive and you have capacity. That means you can make your own decisions, sign legal documents, and then moving to the right in the center um, area, you may become incapacitated. So you're still alive, but you can't 
make your own decisions. And then eventually, of course, we are all going to pass away at some point. Um, and so the, um, to your specific question, um, towards the bottom there, you see the last will and testament. And then the last item is a revocable living trust. So a will only um, talks about um, you know, what happens after you die. So it has nothing to do with while you're alive. Your revocable living trust is the only one that uh, kind of covers all three zones. Um, and so basically the way that works is um, you set up a trust now while you're alive and while you have your mental faculties. Um, and that trust has three um, roles associated with it. There's the person that creates the trust and contributes assets to it. That's what we call the grantor. There is the person that's in charge of managing whatever assets or property are put into the trust. That's what we call the trustee. And there is the person that, or people that are entitled to receive the income or benefit from the trust. And those are called beneficiaries. So you create the trust. And so initially you are serving in all three capacities of your own trust. You are the grantor that creates it. You're the trustee that manages it and you're the beneficiary of it. Now, at some point um, you know, in the future, you may become incapacitated. So then you are no longer able to manage it. So you can no longer be the trustee. So you would name who you want to be the successor trustee. Um, but you're still alive, so you are still the beneficiary. And so the trust document would have instructions to the successor trustee that you've named, telling them essentially use these assets to make sure that I'm taken care of and well provided for and, you know, um, able to live, um, you know, a dignified life, uh, you know, the way I want to, um, you know. And for a lot of people, that means they'd like to continue living in their home if possible. And then um, in, at some point in time, um, you know, we are all gonna pass away. And so then at that point, you're no longer the trustee, obviously. And so your successor trustee is uh, still uh, managing it. Uh, but then you are no longer a beneficiary either. And then you've named who you want the beneficiaries to be and you can have extensive provisions uh, laying out how you want your trust to be distributed, who you want to benefit from it and any um, sort of conditions um, that you wanna put on that. So um, in terms of how that um, avoids probate, so if you didn't have a trust and you only had a will, any assets that are passing to your um, beneficiaries under your will are gonna go through the probate process. When you have a trust, any assets that you've put into your trust or that you send into your trust by a beneficiary designation, for example, on a life insurance policy, you could name your trust as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy. That would go automatically go into your trust upon your death. So those assets are not gonna go through the probate process uh, and your trust does not get recorded in the courthouse like your will does. And so that's gonna remain private and outside of the probate process and instead your trustee is just going to administer it according to the instructions that you've laid out in your trust document. Wow, okay, so it, it, thank you for getting into the weeds there because I think some people when they join a webinar like this, they do want a little detail and it, it does really help to get that. So there's a big difference between 
what you get with a will and what you get with a trust. And I imagine there's a, a slightly difference, <laughs> maybe not slightly big difference, right? That doesn't make sense, but just a plain old big difference between the cost, right? Of putting together just a will versus a revocable living trust. Yeah, that's true. So, um, you know, obviously um, creating an estate plan that includes a trust is more expensive on the front end. Of course, the goal is that it's going to save not only money, but time and hassle uh, later on in the future for your family, um, you know, by um, avoiding probate as we've talked about. Um, so, but it is more expensive. And I'll just uh, add um, a little bit more about in terms of the cost. So we typically um, do estate planning on a fixed fee basis um, as kind of a package. So your estate plan package is very often going to include these different items that uh, are shown on this uh, chart. Uh, and then, and so we will talk with you, find out what your situation is, what your needs are, uh, and then, um, you know, come up with what we recommend and then, you know, what you want. And then based on that, we will determine the fixed fee for the estate plan package. Um, and that's going to vary from client to client, depending on how complicated their situation is and, you know, what specific elements or features they want to include in their overall plan. Uh, and there are, you know, a, a lot of different potential options that clients can select. Um, and so we go over those with our clients uh, on the front end to, um, you know, come up with the fixed fee that we tell them, you know, upfront so they know basically exactly how much it's going to cost um, for, you know, the specific package uh, that they're selecting and the specific features. Okay, got a few questions coming up here in the chat. Um, here I go. If assets are held as tenants in common or joint tenants with rights of survivorship, are they transferred automatically to the surviving spouse? Um, so, uh, there are in Virginia um, kind of three uh, ways to hold title to property and the question mentioned two of the three. So I'll just go through those two and then the third. So uh, tenants in common basically means that, um, you know, and I'm just gonna assume two owners, although it could be more than two owners, uh, but just to simplify, um, that uh, the, the co-owners uh, each own their share and you know so let, it could be 50 50 or 60 40 or or you know any allocation between them and each of their shares is separate property to them and they can leave it um you know in their will or trust or or however um to uh you know their heirs or selected beneficiaries uh and it does not automatically pass to the other joint owners. Um, so in contrast to that, um, joint tenants with right of survivorship is when you have co-owners um, that each own, uh, um, you know, they own it together jointly. And if one owner dies, then the remaining owner or, or owners become uh, um, you know, that the deceased person's share automatically passes to the uh, surviving owner or owners. And then, so the last form of ownership is what we call tenants by the entirety. And that is a special uh, form of ownership for married couples. 
And so, um, you know, most married couples, if they buy a house, they're um, going to own the house as tenants by the entirety. And so what that means is like the joint tenants with right of survivorship, um, if one spouse dies, their share automatically passes to the surviving spouse. But the difference is that um, you also get uh, what we call an asset protection benefit from that form of ownership. So if one of the spouses that's a, um, you know, a, a co-owner that's held this way, for example, gets in a lawsuit, um, that property that's held that way cannot be used to satisfy a judgment or other liability against one of the spouses. Um, now, if both of the spouses have, you know, signed an obligation, for example, the loan they took out to, uh, um, you know, to buy the house, well, then the house may be liable for a joint, um, you know, liability of both spouses, but it is protected from, uh, you know, liabilities or lawsuits against one spouse. And that is uh, unique for that type of ownership, tenants by the entirety for married couples. If you're a married couple, you should kind of look at that deed and, and maybe have a conversation around um, what might be best for you and your family. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we talk with clients about a lot because um, we need to be mindful of those uh, asset protection type issues at the same time we're doing the estate planning. Um, and so we want to make sure that we are accomplishing accomplishing both uh, objectives, uh, you know, as much as possible. Okay. Um, another question here in the chat, assuming estate documents are 20 years old, are they still good? Um, so there's no automatic, um, you know, expiration date on estate plan documents. Um, so uh, they could still be good, but I can just tell you from experience that, um, the laws have changed quite a bit, um, you know, regarding these different, um, um, you know, estate planning tools. And so um, we do a lot of reviewing of older estate plans, and then we give recommendations on, you know, things that are out of date or things that should be changed or updated. And, you know, I can, you know, practically guarantee that 20 year old estate plan documents are going to have you know, some problems or at least some things that could be improved by taking into account these changes in laws. And, and the other thing is, even if the law hasn't changed, your life probably has changed. Um, and, you know, um, a 20 year old document could name, uh, you know, someone to be your executor that's no longer alive or, you know, um, or someone you know, could leave everything to a spouse that you divorced 10 years ago. So, um, you know, just, just through the passage of time and, and changes in your life, uh, very often there are things that, you know, should be updated. Well, thank you for that. And, and I imagine it's, it's not too difficult to, you know, you schedule an appointment with someone like you, you charge a few hours of your time to review it, and then you and the client make an adjudication as to whether they need to redo it or just make some edits. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, normally in that type of situation, we will start by doing a thorough review and preparing a memo outlining our recommendations and, you know, kind of issues that we've seen. Uh, and then we'll go over and so we'll just do that for a flat fee and then we'll go over our recommendations with the client and, um, 
you know, and if they choose to implement those recommendations, that might be, you know, making a change to one or two documents, or it might be redoing, uh, you know, all everything in essentially creating a new estate plan, or it could be, you know, something in between. Um, but we'll go over all of that. And, you know, if the client then decides to move forward, we'll let them know, you know, what the fees will be uh, for that next phase. Okay, two more questions here in the chat. Uh, why would anyone make a plan without a trust? Well, um, you know, I would say for the vast majority of clients, I do recommend um, having a trust. Um, you know, some clients either, you know, don't want to pay the initial upfront cost to create it or, um, you know, are just for whatever reason, um, you know, feel, feel like it's simpler to have just a will. Um, although, uh, as I hope I've, uh, you know, illustrated, it's certainly not simpler in the long run to just have a will. Um, you know, so, that, but, you know, there are some clients where they probably don't really need a trust. Um, you know, um, if they have, um, you know, a very simple thing, uh, a very simple estate, and, um, you know, maybe they're just leaving everything, they don't have kids, they're leaving everything to, you know, three charities, and, and that's it, you know, maybe, maybe a will is fine for them, because, you know, they don't really care, uh, you know, if there's, uh, you know, a little more expense and hassle on, you know, after they're gone, because they won't be here and, and they don't have a family that's going to have to bear that burden. So th there are some situations where, you know, either, um, you know, I don't recommend a trust or the client, you know, just for whatever reason, doesn't want one. But typically, you know, I would say the vast majority of of clients, I do strongly recommend having a trust. Yeah, I think I think both you and our firm, we tend to work with married couples with kids. And so the more people involved, right there, the, the more complexity and, and sometimes, you know, making that extra spend for a tool um, that that may be adaptable to a more complex life is quite a benefit to the families. Right. All right, uh, there was a question here about divorce. It says, you mentioned divorce. Does divorce terminate any benefits in the estate plan for a former spouse? So um, that's a complicated um, question. So unfortunately, there's not a, um, you know, one answer um, for all things. You got to go element by element. So each document is going to be affected in a different way by divorce different types of assets might be um, impacted differently um, by a divorce. Um, so uh, you really have to, um, you know, analyze it um, item by item and, you know, and obviously talk to your financial planner um, as well as your attorney um, and uh, as well as your insurance um, uh, person if that's, uh, you know, different than your financial planner. Um, I do have a, uh, you know, a piece that talks about, um, you know, how divorce impacts your estate plan uh, that I'd be happy to share with, uh, you know, any, uh, anyone listening who would like to receive that. 
Okay, great. Uh, make note of that. And we'd like to send an email to uh, all registrants afterwards. So um, you share that piece with me and I'll share the registrants with you as well. And, and we can get that piece out to everyone. There was a question earlier. Um, you mentioned insurance. What sort of factors do you look for when you recommend, if you do recommend a client consider a whole life policy as part of their estate plan? So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as specific recommendations on types of insurance policies or amounts, um, I don't, that's kind of beyond the scope of an attorney's services. Um, so I, I refer to, you know, your financial planner or, you know, other insurance uh, broker, um, insurance specialist, I guess I should um, call it. Um, but, um, you know, but what I do is, um, you know, number one, I want to understand what insurance policies the, uh, you know, the client that I'm working with has. And, you know, so sometimes I will be able to just, you know, even in my non-expert opinion, say, hey, it looks like, you know, maybe you might not have enough insurance and maybe you should talk to Jason or whoever um, your advisor is um to see if uh you know having uh some more insurance coverage might be appropriate for you um you know so uh, i guess that's one way it comes up and then you know the other thing is as part of doing your estate plan we need to make sure that your beneficiary designations are set up correctly so that all of this works together the way it's supposed to and so what we will do is we will um you know, give the client instructions on here's how we um, recommend, uh, you know, setting up your beneficiary designation on your life insurance policies. And, uh, and then we will also uh, coordinate with your um, advisors on that as well, if you've authorized us to communicate with them about that. Okay, wow. So that's, yeah, it's multi-layered once you start talking about tools to, uh, to add to the estate plan. And that makes sense. You know, as, as financial advisors, you know, we like to work, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, you know, with estate planners, with CPAs, with insurance people, and make sure everyone's singing from the same music. Well, you know, it's it's been a good bit of time here. Um, there's one more question here in the chat. I'll make this the last question, and then, then we'll pop out and everyone brace yourself. You'll have our faces again um, as, uh, as part of the, the video. On the topic of the revocable trust, do you find that clients have difficulty retitling assets so that they're owned by the trust during life? And, and I think this question is, you know, do people get around to essentially putting the assets in the trust by retitling or, or do you have to kind of be on them? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that a lot of people, um, you know, that say they've created a trust um, you know, years ago, and a lot of times they come to us and say, I created a trust, uh, you know, many years ago, but I never got around to funding it. Funding it is uh, sort of estate planning lingo for um, transferring assets into your trust. Um, so we try to, you know, number one, emphasize the importance of it throughout the planning process. Uh, number two, um, when we are delivering the completed estate plan, we give uh, detailed instructions for how to accomplish, um, you know, the retitling of assets. 
Uh, and then number three, as I mentioned, we also coordinate with the financial advisors. Um, and so, and usually if you have a good financial advisor like Jason, they're gonna be on top of that. And as soon as I tell Jason, you know, this client's estate plan is complete, you know, he's gonna um, know what to do to make sure that for, you know, your accounts are either retitled in the name of your trust or for example, on retirement accounts, we don't retitle those, but you can name your trust as a beneficiary uh, on those uh, similar to um, life insurance policies as we were talking about before. And then the last thing I'll mention is for real estate. Real estate is transferred into your trust by um, uh, signing a deed and then recording that deed in the land records at the courthouse. So that piece we do handle uh, directly. So we'll prepare the deed, have the client sign it, and then take care of recording it in the courthouse. Um, and so that, that ties back into what I was talking about earlier with the tenants by the entirety. So um, you know, we make sure that if it's a married couple that we want to uh, preserve that uh, asset protection benefit. Um, and fortunately, we can do that um, with a specific statute that we have in Virginia that allows us to preserve uh, that asset protection while at the same time uh, getting the benefit of having it in your uh, revocable trust. Wow, so even more perks for living here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Nasal. You can see his contact information here. I'll be reproducing that in an email back out to you later um, either today or uh, tomorrow. There will be some follow-up. Uh, David, I, I think I speak for everyone in just thanking you for answering all of the questions, uh, for being here at all on such a busy day and really at a, such a busy time for your practice. Can you, um, can you leave us with one thing that um, all of us who are viewing and, and listening to you should think about when it comes to estate planning and maybe even trying to put together or revise an estate plan here during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, so much for hosting this, Jason, and thanks for everyone uh, for attending. So I, mean, I think the one uh, kind of takeaway that I'd want to leave everyone with is, um, you know, e even if you don't have an estate plan, you kind of do have one. And it, it's a lot better to be proactive and create your own estate plan and make your own decisions and have your uh, own wishes. Um, carried out rather than just having, um, you know, a court or the law do that for you. And, um, and if you've created an estate plan, you know, a long time ago, uh, definitely I recommend, you know, pull it out, review it, make sure it's still appropriate. Um, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the law and probably been a lot of changes in your life. So, um, you know, again, be proactive, make sure that your estate plan is reflecting your family, your wishes, your values. You know, that's terrific. David M. Nasal, a chair of the Trust and Estates Practice at Pretoria Law. I've been Jason Howell of Jason Howell Company. We're so happy to have experts like you, David, here. So once again, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing all that information. Information, not advice. If you'd like legal advice, you can speak to someone like Dave Nasal or Dave Nasal himself. Um, but this is this is just a resource for you to get started in that conversation. Thanks again, David. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. We're signing off. The rest of you, please have a great rest of your day.